We are going to be taking a little break from our series through John 15 through 17 to kind of address you know, where we have been and where we are going over this next year. So as we begin that, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. As always, God, we thank you that we get to be together and gather together to worship, to sing praises to you, to connect with one another, to see one another. God, as we look back over this past year, I pray that we would be struck by your faithfulness. That we'd be reminded of how good you are and how near you are and how mighty you are. God, please help us continue to prepare our hearts for what you have called us to do. Because God, we know that you have rescued us to adopt us as your sons and daughters to make us your family so that we can be light in the midst of darkness, that we can be your ambassadors to a lost and hurting world. God, help us to think about those things as you prepare us for what is to come. We love you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 8. So if you want, you can, you can turn to that. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 22 here in just a minute. But, um, you know, every year about this time I try to give a, a state of the church address to just reflect on what we, what we said we were going to do in the past year and, and you know, how, what God did through those things. And then, um, and then looking ahead to the next year and kind of give us an idea of where are we going. And... Um, every year, it's a little scary for me to look back on the previous year's State of the Church address because I'm like, wait, what did I say? And then I got to think, okay, did, you know, and well, the things that we did, like, did these things happen and everything? And this year was um, even scarier, I think. But I also feel like we had a pretty good excuse. Like, I looked back and I thought, okay, if there was ever a year that we would say, hey, we're going to take a mulligan on that one. You know, nobody saw that coming. It would be this year. But instead, what I found when I looked back was that even though I had no idea what was to come, it was very clear that God did. If you, may, you may remember that last year, one of the big pushes we made was to say, we want to rally and mobilize our people to be an army that can meet sporadic needs however they should arise that could serve and jump into action, that it's hard sometimes with a church this size to actually mobilize and be able to, to meet needs in the community sometimes. And, and so we wanted, to, we wanted to work on that. And so I encourage you, I said, look, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of the, the army that can say, you know what, yeah, I'll go do that. I'll take care of that need right now. Then I, I asked you to fill out a card and just say, I'm in. And so many of you did. It was incredibly encouraging. And when we said that, like one of the first questions that people asked after they did that was like, okay, well, wh what's next? What does this mean? What, what do you have for us to do? And we looked at each other and we're like, we have no idea. I have no idea. We just knew that as I was praying leading up to that time, I just felt like, okay, God, you, you, we're, we need to be mobilized. And we'll figure out, like, what, what is it going to be? But God knew. God knew that in any year, more than ever, we would need to be mobilized 
to meet needs. Who could have imagined, like when I said those things, I did not imagine or think that what I meant by that was that you would have to go and, and actually go grocery shopping for your neighbor because your neighbor isn't going to be allowed in the grocery store. Or that you'd have to help with childcare for your neighbor whose kid wasn't going to be able to go to school. Even though they're, you know, they're not sick or they're not anything, they, they, they can't go. Or, they, or all these different things that were going to happen, that people were going to be out of work the way that they were. That, they, that you'd have people moving into a, a, a community for the first time and not be able to have the regular avenues that they would normally have to get connected and to meet people. We had no way of knowing. But God did. And you responded. And it's so encouraging to think back. I can't contain all of the things that you did, but you, you did do those things. You took people's grocery lists and you went and you shopped and you delivered them. You helped people move. You provided furniture. You assisted those displaced by fire. You gave rides to People for medical appointments in Green Bay at a time where you're not even allowed to go into a waiting room and sit. You've got to sit outside and wait. To just recently building a, a wheelchair ramp for one of our members. And of course, the, the one that had the most of our people involved volunteered at the local school. Which is a big deal. I just think about the fact that because of what's going on right now, they don't let just anybody into the schools. I know because I've tried. And I'm like, you know me. And I, Sorry, can't come in. But you get to go. People from our church every week are being faithful volunteers, supporting teachers, loving students, letting the school district know we are here and we are serving you and we love you. And I just think... But for all the talk of what's going on in our schools, that here we are in a situation where we're the, we're the volunteers that get to be there. We didn't know that that was coming. But God did. And what that has done is it, it has built a platform for us to be able to share the gospel. It's strengthened our witness in the community. It's been able to reflect the love of God to places where it's not known. And in the midst of it, like every other church in America, we've tried to been, be figuring out, like, how do we minister? How do we, how do we care for people? How do, we, how do we equip people? How do we worship together? Like, there are just so many other ways that we tried to do that. Like, we, um, we started a, a podcast for all eight of you to listen to. And we continue to do that and labor on it and, and, and are encouraged by it. We did video devotions. We're scrambling to try to do things to, to help people feel connected and to get those things out there. We never envisioned a time where we would have to do video production for a worship service. But Jeff Bauer and Jeff Clossy figured it out. And now there are many of you that are watching online because of the work that was put in there. And you, you rolled with it. You rolled with it as like gospel communities and Bible studies had to go either online through Zoom, which is admittedly the worst. Like who wants to do anything on Zoom, let alone like try to study the word and pray for one another. But it was, it was awkward, but you did it. You figured out ways. And like when it got warm, like going outside and, and being outside together. Donna and her team worked hard to figure out how do we do VBS? Do we even do it at all? How do we make the best experience that we can? And not only did Donna work really hard, but the volunteers jumped in and just did it with joy. 
And we met outside and did, did VBS. And it wasn't about like just doing the thing. It was just what was so encouraging to me as I reflected back on it was the resiliency of our people as we just kept saying, okay, well, what's next? Let's do that. So when we were able to gather outside together, when we were able to come back and we said, well, we can gather outside, we just did it. Brought umbrellas and got shade and did whatever you need to do. We gathered spread across the lawn. And then when, when we were able to come back inside and we said, okay, but we're going to need you to wear masks and spread out, you guys did it. Still haven't had a single issue. I can't tell you how encouraging that is when I talk to other pastors to say, yeah, we, not one, not one problem. It's because you have rolled with it and said, look, whatever, whatever we need to do to love our community and love our neighbor, to make it so people can be here to worship together. I mean, if there's anything I've learned in this past year, it's that nothing can stop God's people from worshiping God if that's our focus. And nothing can stop God's people from being God's people if that's our focus. If we don't get distracted by the storms that rage around us. So when I was thinking about this, how do we reflect and then how do we move forward and what does that look like? My mind was brought to Luke 8. And if you've been in our Bible reading plan together as a church, um, you read that probably a week and a half ago. If you are a little slower and behind a little bit, um, then maybe you read that today. I don't know. But like, just quick show of hands, how many of you are behind in the Bible reading plan? See, me too. It's okay. We're fine. Just keep going. Just keep plugging away. Like, it's, it's great. So if you were reading this a, a week and a half ago or so, there's the account of Jesus calming the storm in Luke 8. He says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? You know, when I think about this, it may be a little trite, but I think, it's, I think it's fitting. There is a storm that is raging around us. And so I think we can identify with these, with these fishermen. As somebody pointed out to me, by the way, in between services, they said it's clear you don't know anything about fishing or boats. Fact, that is true. But what I do know is that fishermen go out in boats on seas. Am I doing good so far? They go out on water. Okay. So when they're out on the water, sometimes storms hit, and they're kind of used to that. But they weren't ready for this one. And I just felt like I was relating to them, a feeling like when I went into 2020, I felt like I couldn't really be overly surprised by the culture and by what was going on around us. I kind of went into it thinking like you feel like, okay, I feel like, you know, those, I've been here for five years now. I feel like I've kind of hit a rhythm, hit a stride, hit a stride as a church, kind of know how people respond to things. I feel like, you know, I, I feel like overall I kind of got this figured out. I'll be ready for the storms that'll hit. And then a storm hits that none of us have ever experienced in our lifetimes. And we're surprised. And it's understandable we realize that there are storms that are big enough to scare even the most avid fishermen. And it's understandable here in this passage that they're scared because it says they were in danger. 
right? It doesn't say it was like just in their imaginations or they, they made it up or they just got overly anxious or whatever. It is a huge storm that is capable of killing them. It is objectively dangerous. And Jesus is sleeping. We would preach through Mark not that long ago, and in Mark 4, there's the same account of the same story. And there they wake Jesus up saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And we talked about when we preached on that message, that's a strange question to ask Jesus, but it's really one of the only questions that makes sense in a time like that. When you have storms that are coming in so strong all around you that are dangerous like that, there's really, there's really only three questions I've found that really make sense. One is, God, do you see what's happening here? Like, are you aware that this is what's going on? Second is, do you care that it's happening? Like, if you're aware of what's happening, like, do you even care that this is what's happening? And finally is, can you do anything about it? Like, in my experience, when storms hit, those are the three big questions. I have, I have sat, through years of ministry, I've sat in countless hospital rooms, living rooms, funeral homes, doctor's offices, been in schools, had sat weeping with parents in parking lots and in my office, and in all of those times where they have felt levied and just nailed by a storm that they didn't see coming, these are the questions that come up. Does God even know this is happening? Is he even there? Or am I just some meaningless speck and all of this is random? Or some form of, does he care? Which sometimes can come out in kind of anguish and frustration of God. Do you even care that this is happening? And sometimes it comes out in a, in a desire to prove yourself worthy of his care. So sometimes it, it comes out as like, okay, whatever I have to do. Like, I know he's there, but I don't think he really cares what's happening to me. How do I make him care? What do I have to do? Like, I'll go to church, I'll read my Bible, I'll be nice to people, like whatever, I'll give money, whatever I have to do. But the root of that is just this question of, God, do you really care that this is happening? Or can you do anything about it? And sometimes that's, that shows up in the feeling of, okay, God, I know that you, you did the best you could, but you couldn't fix this, and so now I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to fix it. Or sometimes it's just, I don't, it's a question of trust. Like, I just don't trust you that you really are able. What you say I'm called to do in this situation just seems so foreign to me that I just, I can't do it. And the storms from this year have raised even more of those questions. I hear them more and more and more, and I see the fruit of those doubts and those questions more in my life and in the lives around me. I mean, look, the, the pandemic itself is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of storm. I mean, that would seem to be enough. Like if all we had to worry about was just people getting sick and, and trying to keep people healthy and trying to care for people who are sick and mourn with people who didn't get well and just walking through that, if that was all we had to do, I think we would all look at that and say, that's plenty. 
That's a big enough storm. But the effects of living in the midst of a pandemic have seemed to be as great or even greater than the actual pandemic itself. As I've talked with people whose families are divided over what to even do in response. Like, should we get together? Should we not? Should we wear masks? Should we not? Like, can't, and and the hurt and the frustration and the confusion is thick. You have businesses that have closed and economic peril that has come in as people who are deemed non-essential are looking at it and whose paychecks are anything but non-essential. People whose life work has been lost. And the grief and the frustration and the anger that comes with those things. Not to mention the seemingly small things of being able to see one another's faces. To be able to like take a whole family to a a basketball game. To be able to give handshakes and, and hugs. To eat together, to laugh together, to see our kids play together. And all that stress on those relational outlets that we normally have that care for us and minister to our souls, all of those things have only put us on more on edge with the things that have already been there, that have always been there. Because it's not like we went into 2020, into March of 2020 with like, you know, I feel like there's basically nothing wrong in our country. Nothing wrong in our neighborhood, nothing wrong in my family, everything's great. No, we're already dealing with those storms. And so it just seems to raise it up. And we look around and now with these kind of weathered patiences and, and, and weakened relationships and kind of more isolated feelings, we look around and we see a country where millions of babies are still dying, where racial injustice is still happening, where there's political strife all around us, where there's this great division in this country that over the last hundred years has been the most influential in Christianity. And we find ourselves, and I hear it from people, asking the questions that the disciples are asking, like, are you awake? Do you see it? Because that's the first thing they do. Jesus is asleep. And their first question is, do you see what's happening? Why are you sleeping? How is this possible? And you see that first question. You see the second one in in Mark where the question includes this accusation. Don't you care that we are perishing? Like if you see it, do you just not care? And we find ourselves asking the wrong questions. By the way, we we tend to associate caring. I think one of the reasons why the disciples asked Jesus if he cares is because he's not panicked. We tend to associate caring with panic. If you don't believe me, ever try, like, think back to a time where you've been in an argument or a disagreement where you have been passionate about something and the other person is calm. What's the accusation? Like, you you don't care. Or you don't see what's actually going on. Or if you do see it, you just don't care. You just don't think it's that big of a deal. But that's not true for Jesus. The issue isn't that he didn't care. It's that he's not afraid. Like, of course he cares. 
The creator who subjects himself to his creation, empties himself to become near to us, endures every temptation and pain that we know. He endures it on his own will just so that we would know how much he cared. Like there's this great irony in the question that the disciples posed to Jesus. Do you see that? The very fact that they are able to ask Jesus if he cares is because he cares. If he doesn't care, he's not in that boat. He's not in human flesh. He hasn't made himself known to them. The only reason they can even ask the question is the answer to the question. Side note, if you ever wonder and you find yourself wondering if Jesus cares, if God cares about what is going on in your life, just consider what he went through so that you would know to even ask him the question. So yes, he cared. But he was not afraid. And then he answers the question that was on their minds, but they were too afraid to ask Can he do anything about it? We have no record of Jesus waking up with a start saying, whoa, wait, wait, what's going on? Like, you should have woken me up sooner. All right, I'll do the best I can. There's none of that. He looks around and he speaks a word and the storms cease. And it scares the disciples even more. And I wonder as they see that, I have to believe that that these these men who had been raised in the scriptures, who would have known at some level the scriptures, would have surely known one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 46. And would this have been echoing in their minds? Would they have said it to one another? Would they have said, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble? Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Are they reminded of these things? Are they reminded that the nations rage, the kingdoms totter? He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. Can you imagine sitting there and and maybe saying that and saying, did you see what happened? And then what? Like you would think that they would need some time to, to digest all that has just happened. But they keep going. Like for all we know at this point, Jesus rolled over and went back to sleep. And said, wake me up if you need me again. What we know is that there's no change of direction. They don't see all this happen. And it doesn't say, and they turned course and made a beeline to the closest shore to just make sure they don't have that happen again. They don't even say like, well, let's, let's build something here so we can remember what happened here. They don't go back to where they came from, listen, they don't go back thinking like, okay, well, God obviously didn't want us to go this direction. Look at this big storm that hit us. Obviously, this was a no-go. Let's go back to where we came from. No. Evidently, 
the instructions were to keep going. Because the very next verse is, Then they sailed to the country of Grassenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. I can't go into a lot of detail here, but let's just say that's a pretty terrifying situation to walk into. Sometimes these people who are demonized just terrorized villages. They would be out on the outskirts and people wouldn't go near them. They would scream and put, like there are all these horrifying things that would happen. And so there, he lives among the tombs. He can't even live among the living. And that's what they find on the shore. And I think Jesus knew that. I think that's why when the storm calms, there is no talk of turning course or changing direction or going back. It's, okay, keep going. Why? Because there's work to be done. You would think that they would get a few weeks to marvel what just happened, but instead, they stay the course and get to go interact with, encounter a man with demons. And I think it's fitting Like in the midst of a storm, a physical storm that makes us panic, there are real battles that need to be fought. Do you see that? Like there's there's a storm in the physical world that terrifies the disciples. They see it happening around them. They see the effects of it. It it is is threatening their lives. They can touch it. They can feel it. They can hear it. And in the midst of all of that happening around them, right across the shore is a spiritual battle. A man who is tortured by demons. I mean, let me me ask you this question. Do you think the disciples are scared of those demons after what they just saw Jesus do? See, we find in this passage that it's not that he doesn't see what's happening. He doesn't care what's happening. Or he's unable to do anything about it. It turns out he actually does all of those things. It's because he sees. It's because he cares It's because he is in control that he allows the storm in the first place. Because he knows what's waiting on the shore. When I think about what the church in our country has been through over the last year, I can't help but think, God, you're doing this because you know what awaits us on the shore. Listen, You don't have to go to national media. The enemy is active in our area. Deceiving people. Leading them away from God. Leading them down a path to destruction. Causing confusion and division and hurt and pain. And at the same time, there are storms around us. Physical, real storms that we can see and touch that kind of drown out those 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 spiritual ones that God says are actually supposed to be our focus, we get distracted by these other ones that are real and they are there, but they're ones that Jesus will calm with a word. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but he will one day calm those with a word. 
But in our midst are people who need to be set free. And the only thing that will do that is the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ. And our way of doing that is to proclaim it and to love our neighbor. We cannot be distracted by those other things. Yes, storms rage around us. And then we will be led. People will say, look, look at all the storms. And you'll see them wanting to change the strategy. Saying that when Jesus commanded us to love one another, they surely didn't mean when they, when they spread lies about you or when they took away your rights. Like surely he didn't mean when the waves get this big. Like I get it that we're supposed to have peace and be calm in the midst of storms, but like this storm is really big. I think that if he saw this storm, he would say, okay, yeah, that was great in theory, but hey, new strategy. But all I can think about when the waves feel like they're getting bigger and bigger and the panic is rising and I see people grasping more and getting more desperate to, to be argumentative and to, to want to separate and divide, all I keep thinking is Jesus sitting there saying, this? And saying, be still and it's done. All of these things, political division, pandemic, civil unrest, all of these things, Jesus calms with a word. The root of these problems are always the same. There is a kingdom of darkness that has taken root in the hearts of all mankind. So much so that we cannot in our own strength overcome it. But God and his great mercy has looked upon his enemies and has brought life to dead hearts. It is his kindness that has led us to repentance. And that kingdom of light has invaded that kingdom of darkness and there is a battle, but it is not of flesh and blood. We have a mission and it doesn't change because of the level of waves around us to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to live in the way of his kingdom. We have a method, and it doesn't change, to be salt and light, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And most importantly, we have a king who is mighty to save, who sees us and has de demonstrated his great love for us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So that's what we're going to do. We are moving forward. Nothing changes. Yeah, the, the environments will look different and we will adjust to those and, and figure out how to work within those systems and within those environments. But we are fully mindful that the storms will continue to rage, but our charge is the same. We are God's family on mission. So over this next year, we will focus on that. We belong to God. That's why we have God's family on mission. It's God apostrophe S. We belong to him. So we will continue to grow in our love and understanding of him. And a big theme of this year is going to be abide, which we've already started as we preached, started preaching through John 15 through 17. Just abide in Christ. Latch on to him. Listen 
for his voice. Consider your actions in light of abiding in him. And while we're unable to do all the things that we would like to do, we're going to take advantage of that time and spend it helping together abide in Christ. Like some of you, that's your favorite. Like if I could just give you a journal and a Bible and say you get to go away from people for a very long time and just sit with Jesus, you'd be like, amen. For others of you, that's a big challenge. But it's important because it is a true statement that you cannot share what you do not have. And remember, what we are to share are not a set of moral standards or values or ideologies, but Jesus. If you want to offer the comfort of Christ, you must receive it. If you want to offer the peace of Jesus, then you must experience it. If you want to offer intimacy with Christ, then you must have it. And so we want to pour our energy at the beginning of this year into taking big steps in belonging to God through abiding in Christ. So we're doing that through our preaching, like I said, John 15 through 17. And then after that, through Lent, we're going to preach on spiritual disciplines. And then we're going to go through uh, the book of 1 John. Which I was really excited because recently got an email from a, a national organization that the headline was, Why Your Church Should Preach Through 1 John This Year. I was like, I sent it off to Jeff and Robbie. I was like, hey, we're ahead of the curve finally. All right. I wanted to email them back. Got it. Nailed. Okay. I don't think they'd care. But we're going to do that. We're reading the Bible together, right? So I, I do want to encourage you. I, I joked. I was really proud of you guys, by the way. Those of you who are brave enough to say I'm behind. Look, a lot of us are. It's okay. Just keep going. Don't let the enemy distract you. We're trying to read the Bible together. If you don't know about that, this is your first time. We have bookmarks out there at the Welcome Center. You can also download the reading plan. We have one plan that's just going through the New Testament and Psalms. And then you can add the Old Testament in if you want to do that. But the goal is let's read the Bible together. Let's be on the same, day, on the same page together, literally. Let's just abide together in his word. And so I want to encourage you, if you find yourself behind and you've been, you're one of those people that just feels like, oh, I got to make all that up. Like, let me free you from that. You don't have to make it up. Just start with what tomorrow is supposed to be. Start again. You can put a bookmark back there and say, okay, when I have a catch-up day, when I'm caught up, I'm going to go back and read a little bit of this. That's okay. Just keep going and see what the Lord does. We're going to have online classes in, in February and March. Look, I, I do not like online classes. I wish that wasn't the way we had to do it. But we're just going to do it. Because we don't want, just want to serve people who are able to come right now, but we have a lot of people right now who are watching online who aren't able to come, and we want to do what we can to resource you and equip you and help you. So we're finalizing those schedules as we speak. The point of all that is to help you abide in Christ, to focus on walking with the Spirit, to turn our attention to the Word of God, to let it fill us, to listen for the Spirit and let Him guide us. And then we want to walk alongside you as you go. So another focus of this year is going to be in family to focus on how we can intentionally shepherd our church family. Well, one of the things that's always been a struggle for me is try to figure out in a church this size, how do we make sure that we're intentionally caring for people proactively? Like I feel like we do a pretty good job reactively. 
We have good benevolence systems set up. We, we have counseling ministries. We, um, when people call and say, hey, I, want, I need help discipling someone or I need help in my life or I need, like, we, we do pretty well with that. But it's the proactive checking in on the members of our family that I feel like we need, just need to be better at. And there's, by the way, a strange word, member. And sometimes, quite often, actually, I get the question of, like, what's the point of being a member? And for many, that conjures up memberships into country clubs that look anything like what the church, nothing like what the church is supposed to look like. And for others, it brings up past bad experiences in churches where they've been wounded. So they're, they're gun-shy on that. And I get all that. But just know that I struggled with that for a long time and I kept trying to find a different way and a different word and I kept coming back to the fact that, that Paul seems to like that word and I don't think I can come up with a better one. He says in Romans 12, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's the idea that we are the body of Christ and if I'm a member of that body, then I'm a member with you so that we are in this together. And so that's, that's what membership is. It's just a covenant with one another. It's like baptism or a wedding. It's just declaring that you are in and saying to the elders, like I, I, I submit myself to, to this leader and leadership and trust and to your care. And it's the elders committing to the members saying we are committed to caring for you. We know that we are held accountable to God for how we shepherd and care for you and feed you and protect you. And so it's just kind of formalizing that. And, and, and I get it that sometimes people push back on that and say like, well, in the early church, I don't think they had formal agreements like that. Fair enough. Also in the early church, if you showed up to one of those meetings, you were liable to get killed. So I feel like that kind of covered that whole commitment thing, right? Like we just live in a different culture and a different time. And so I get it that you, there's like no cost. Like every week we have people here who don't know Jesus. And I love that. I am so glad you are here. But you're only able to do that because of the culture that we live in here. And so that's great. And so we adjust to that and we say, please come and listen to the gospel. Please come and watch us worship our God and, and be curious and ask questions. We love that. It's also a beautiful thing that you can come and, and just check it out and say like, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not sure if, I, if this is the church family I want to cast my lot in with. Like we have some people who, who come in, they love Jesus, and they're just waiting because they take that kind of membership commitment seriously. And they're just saying, I, I want to I make sure that this, this is a family. Like I can be on board and I can be fully in. That's awesome too. But I would say, that if you are a person that you're just saying, you know, I love Jesus. I'm all in with him. I love this church family. I've been, I've been coming for 20 years. I'm all in with this church family. Then I just say, well, then help us care for you by becoming a member. So that we can be intentional in that and make sure that we are being held accountable and being responsible to what God has given us to steward. And all of this, this abiding in Christ, this trying to pour into that and then shore up our ability to care for one another is so that we can be poured out. So not only we are God's family, but we are God's family on mission. And so we will continue to do that. We want to equip you to share your faith, to minister to people. We want to send you out. And so this, this fall, like we're going to do a campaign of sorts 
where we will give you practical steps and challenges of trying to encourage and, and start us like making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And to just pray and ask God to spark a disciple-making movement here. God has built an incredible platform for us. And we know that the trials and the storms around us give us this incredible opportunity. Gives us an opportunity to demonstrate to the world what the family of God looks like and how we love one another and why we are at peace in the midst of the storm. Listen, nobody wonders why you're at peace when you're posting a picture on Facebook of your awesome vacation with hashtag blessed. Like, nobody's moved by that. Now, I'm not saying you're not blessed for that. I'm not saying that's not a gift from the Lord that you should enjoy and, and rejoice in and, and take advantage of. By all means, do it. Like He knows I love to do that. That's great. But they don't look at that. They don't look at you sitting there sipping a drink, sitting on a beach, watching a beautiful sunrise and say, huh, I wonder why they have so much peace. But when the storms hit and you are at peace, when you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you with all joy and thanksgiving, that's what makes them wonder why. So we have this great opportunity and we are going to do that, encourage one another in that and equip one another to do that. And that all is leading to 2022, which no, I'm not going to do a whole separate sermon here on 2022, but it's just so exciting to me that this abiding and this caring for one another and this sparking disciples, making disciples is all carrying forward to 2022 where we're going to have a year where we just focus on missions, both local and global where we see ourselves as a sent people, whether you are a teacher or a law enforcement officer or a factory worker or you feel called to go to India or Indonesia or anywhere else, that we want to say we are equipping you as the family of God. You have been, you've been abiding. You've been caring for one another. You have been discipled. You have been discipling others. Now go. We want to train up and send our people out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to our next door neighbors. And we will continue to do all the things that we've been trying to do, caring for the widow and the orphan and seeing people radically change lives. Do you realize, like, during this pandemic... We have had people who have taken in widows who are suffering. We have had people who have started the adoption process. All those things are still happening. And we are going to continue to equip people to do those things. This year, we're going to abide together. We're going to disciple one another. Like in, in many ways, I feel like I've been in that boat in the midst of a storm this last year. And you probably have felt that. Like you just run around, all of a sudden the storms are hitting, you're on this boat and you feel like you've been running around battening the hatches, whatever that means. Actually, I have no idea. Um, securing the boat. And while the storm is raging, it's felt like communication has gotten harder as you feel like you're yelling through like the wind and the waves and the rain and masks and all these things. And you're just, it just feels like it's been harder to communicate with people, harder to feel like you're on the same page. And then just when you feel like you kind of got your bearings and you feel like you can work your way to the other side of the boat, a big wave hits and knocks you over again. And our Jesus in the midst of it is saying, be still. 
And so here we stand. Wind-worn, battered by waves, cold and shivering, maybe disoriented and confused, taking stock of the damage that's around us and realizing that our Jesus is not the least bit disheveled. Not the least bit concerned. He sees, he cares, he is able, and his eyes are set on the next shore. And we realize that he has been preparing us for what we will find there. He is our refuge and our strength. Though the waters roar and foam, he utters his voice and the earth melts. We are to be still and know that he is God because he is with us. And so we will hang on to him for the rest of our ride to that shore. Abiding in him, caring for one another, discipling one another, and being prepared for the spiritual battle that is to come. As we love our neighbor fiercely and tell them about our Jesus. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, we know that you do all things. That all things are under your control and under your hand, your loving hands. God, you, you are not unaware. You weep with us in the midst of our trials. And you are mighty to save. God, I confess that at times I have felt disoriented. I felt battered by the waves. Help us to cling to you. Help us to cling to you with a boldness and a confidence. Knowing that you are preparing us for what is in store. God, I believe that you are preparing your church to love in a way that none of us have ever really had to. Few of us have, have had to love in the way that the early church did. And I believe, God, you are preparing us for that. So prepare us. As much as it depends upon us, God, we say together, we are here. We are ready. But not because we're ready in our own strength, but because you, we know you will make us ready. You will equip us. You will prepare us. We can trust you because you are God, you are good, and you are sovereign. And it is because of Jesus Christ we can pray these things. Amen.